We are back. Thank you to everyone who followed the state of the Nova Nation last year. Welcome back. If you're new, welcome to the show. This is the state of the Nova Nation, the official podcast of viewhoops.com. We cover anything and everything and anything possible that has to do with Nova Athletics and that fine university on 800 East Lancaster Ave. We're excited to be back for our fourth season overall, third on this beautiful audio podcast format. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stanzial. I am glad to be back. I am excited for a brand new season in a off season that honestly it felt it felt a little bit long, but we you know we had the draft. We had a couple of draft episodes during the summer to hold us over, but I, I'm glad to get into the full swing of things. Uh, glad to see Big East Media Day has already occurred, and we are now talking about that. It, it truly is college basketball season, and uh, looking forward to a defending championship uh, campaign. Oh, I'm very excited, too. It, it's felt like quite some time. I know that we did have those little draft specials going on just surrounding decision day, surrounding draft day, post-draft, just looking at where our four 2018 national championship heroes would go onto the next level. That was fun. But, you know, I miss getting together every Tuesday, Thursday morning to put together these episodes, record them, look at the stats, look at the rankings. We're not, we're, we're definitely not going to talk about the rankings too much just because it's like, you know, when Nova started cracking the top 25, top 10, top five, like it was nothing. It was cool at first. You know, you, you wanted to brag, show it off. I guess it is still cool to flex that you're number one once in a while. But for those of you who are new to the show, we are so happy to be on this audio channel. I just don't think we were that great on video. But on audio-wise, you know, we were killing it in those Podomatic rankings, getting top 10 left and right, and then also beating the Big Ten basketball podcast on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And we've expanded our repertoire. You know, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podomatic, Google Play Store, you know, you name it. We're really happy to be back on the audio waves. As for the video days, you know, shout out to Dale Reynolds because he seems to be killing it with his new show, Stay Tuned with D-Ray. What I'm glad, though, is that he found a great use for our old State of the Nova Nation set. His show looks awesome. Yeah, it does. And and I saw the, I guess it would be the trailer for his video podcast. I recognized it immediately. I recognized that setting and I was like, oh, yes, the, the good old video uh, SNN days. Me as a cameraman and you in the control room directing everything. Those were the glory days of senior year. But, hey, you know, Daryl's new show looks great. And uh, it seems like he's got some good interviews lined up, too. Yeah, I'm really glad that he has found his way on the camera on a mic. I'll never forget, and you know I've said this on the show before, he is one of my favorite people to talk to, to interview. As soon as I first interviewed him back down in Louisville in 2016, during that Sweet 16 Elite Eight run, I sat there and just the way that he just talked on the mic, it was so cool. I was like, whenever this guy graduates, someone needs to get this guy a microphone, a radio show, this guy will kill it. And we're really glad to see that he has now started his own show. I hope the live recording, I think it was at the Jake Nevin Fieldhouse uh, over the weekend. I hope it went well. But, you know, shout out to him, D-Ray, if you're listening by any chance. We still really want you to come on the show. We would love that. Yeah, please. (laughs) It would be great to talk to you. So we have a lot to unpack in this first episode. And before we get to that, we just want to apologize for breaking tradition. For the last couple of years, when it came to starting the year starting the state of the nation and i know you got some tweets i got some tweets i got some texts and i said just as tradition 
we are going to have the first episode the day at the morning after Big East Media Day. And well, there was a couple things that I did not anticipate. The first one was the Big East Conference moved Media Day. They made it two weeks later and they put it on a Thursday for the first time ever. I, I was totally thrown in for a loop. And Chris, I was thinking about it because, you know, Media Day was on that Thursday last week. And I was like, oh, you know, maybe we can like get together Friday morning. But I kind of figured we should just get used to the Tuesday, Thursday format. And also we were both going away for the weekend. And I hope you had a great time. What, what were you up to? Well, my brother turned 21 last Tuesday, so I decided to go visit him at school down in Pennsylvania. I uh, decided to stop over at Villanova for a bit to see the campus improvements. I knew it was homecoming, but I spent most of my time near my brother at her sinus. Campus looks fantastic. My God, the, the improvements since we left that place has been significant. Didn't get to go inside the new pavilion, but I saw the outside and it looks uh, absolutely stunning. So... Yeah, I, I got to say, they, they've done a lot of work to that place, and it looks absolutely great. Now, I've been back since we since we graduated, obviously, but I, I feel like now is, like, kind of where it's fully coming together. I think we're, like, right at the edge there. We're, like, you know, obviously the new pavilion and the senior dorms are up. I mean, that bridge, the bridge is fully in, in swing there. That's fully operational. So, yeah, it looks great. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. Like, I have been back a few times, but I feel like every six months, it's just, like, a completely different campus. And it's still changing and it's still growing. And I can't wait to see what the finished product looks like. But right now, you know, just getting back on topic, it was Big East Media Day. And this is possibly one of the days I most look forward to every year. It's that first taste of college basketball. It's the we're almost there, not quite yet. Like you get all the players, all the Big East stars and all the coaches at Madison Square Garden where you know they're all going to be again in March for the real deal for the Big East tournament. And you start to get hyped up. You know, you're walking up to the garden. You're expecting to see all these Big East stars and you think, I can't wait for college basketball. There's two halves in the morning. It's the men's teams. And then in the afternoon, it's the women's side of it. And first thing, as soon as you walk through the door, you're greeted with preseason rankings and preseason accolades. And for the fifth straight year, Villanova is on top of the biggest preseason coaches poll, clocking in at number one. It wasn't that close, but if you're looking at it, right behind them was Marquette at number two, number three was Providence, four was St. John's, five was Butler, six Xavier, seven Georgetown. In eighth was Seton Hall, and at the caboose was Creighton and DePaul. I know these are just preseason rankings, and they're all little fun things to just, you know, just, just to talk about, just to get people talking again. What was your reaction to them? Any surprises? How do you feel about Nova taking the top spot once again? Yeah, you know my feelings on these these rankings. Uh, it, it really means nothing <laughs> by looking at it. I mean, just something surprising that sticks off the page. Creighton at nine. That's low, just to what they're used to. I'm not saying they don't, they shouldn't be there, but they lost a lot. It's just it's just crazy to see a name like Creighton at nine and Seton Hall at eight too. I mean, we're so used to them being upper half, maybe right behind us, two, three, maybe three, four, usually. But now they're at the bottom half, and it's just crazy to see that. And this is pretty much the same for all Big East teams. A lot of teams lost a lot of talent, and yeah, some programs have a better recruiting class than others. But I mean, a lot of teams lost a lot of talent. And I think that's going to be a theme at least early on. We'll see that uh, just these teams just aren't the same as what we're used to seeing. So that that's pretty surprising. And the Marquette, too. That's good to see. I mean, Woj is kind of um, okay over there. He obviously had the tournament appearance a couple of years ago. Didn't have a hot year last year. 
But I, I think with Marcus Howard now in full swing, full reign with that team, I think they'll be able to do uh, some big things this year. And then just looking at the preseason All Big East teams, you have Eric Pascal on the first team, and Phil Booth was named to the second team All Big East preseason team. Not really surprised, honestly. I think if you wanted to, you could make an argument for Phil Booth being first team just because I felt like Alpha Diallo, I, while I have liked this game, I felt that his spot on the first team was a little surprising to me. Just a little bit. A little, eh. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. I mean, honestly, if anything, it's better for Booth because it gives him something to, I don't know, motivate himself with. Not that he needs motivation, but I guess you can twist it that way. It's just good to see Pascal getting some uh, recognition now, getting first team. Because he was kind of, I wouldn't say he was like the ultimately forgotten piece last year, but I, I feel like he was pretty much the unsung hero all year and until that big Final Four game against Kansas. So good to see he's finally getting some big time recognition. Yeah, the elder statesmen, both fifth year seniors. Just going along, Biggie's preseason player of the year went to Shamori Pons from St. John's. And as for the freshman of the year, well, we had two Javon Quinterly, Jelly JQ from Villanova and David Duke Jr. of Providence. They both split the honors. I know this is just a preseason award. I was surprised that it came down to a tie. Not going to lie. I'm not upset, but I was a little surprised that it came down to an even split at the end. Yeah, obviously, clearly, five-star prospect, 28th overall in his class. But, you know, David Duke, top 50 guy, four-star guy. I mean, it's a little surprising, yeah, to see it as a dead-even split, like you said. Probably... In all honesty, I think it probably should have went to Quinterly, but hey, David Duke's a pretty good player. It seems that it seems like uh, excited to see what he can bring to Providence. So it'll be it'll be fun. You got like I said, a lot of teams lost a lot of talent, but a lot of teams brought in some good, really good talent as well. And I, I think that's going to be an overwhelming theme this year to see these new faces and new places to see if they can actually like take off, uh, do some big things as freshmen. Yeah, I totally agree. And one thing that I thought was a great point that. Kevin Willard, the Seton Hall coach, brought up, even though a lot of teams are losing some talent and you just look across the league and you look across the conference, you have Seton Hall. They lost three of their core four members in Rodriguez, Carrington, and Delgado. Then you look at Butler. They lost Keelan Martin and a couple other guys. Then, of course, Villanova, you saw what we all felt and saw what was going on there, seeing four players move on to the NBA draft, all get selected. And you just look across the board, and even though there are a lot of losses, Kevin Willard brought up this point in that you look at the Big East, overall, this conference does a pretty good job of developing talent. So while there are some unknowns, you can expect a lot of breakout performances, breakout stars. And yeah, it's good to see that there are more hype recruiting classes coming in. David Duke was a top 50, Quinterly also top 50, McDonald's All-American and just looking at this, you know, the future is bright. I, I think there are a lot of question marks. And while all these losses and all these departures is a little alarming, I think this will still be a very fun, good year for the Big East. It's, it's funny you say that because last year I felt like the theme was, you know, you have all these big time seniors across the board, you know, it, or maybe not seniors, but guys who you knew were probably going to leave at the end of the year, just basically running the conference. And now this year it feels that it's going to flip on its head a little bit and it's going to be all about the freshmen. So I, I think in that regards, I think it does make it for just as exciting conference, just as much exciting this year. And I totally agree with you. You know, there are a lot of exciting incoming players just in general, whether by transfer, whether just by flat out recruitment out of high school. Quinterly, I felt like he was just like a whirlwind, a fun time to watch 
not only on the court, but also off the court. And just looking at what he brings to the table, you know, he's a very crafty playmaker. He's also a guy that has great court vision, can knock down the three-point shot. He can score. We can see that he can get to the basket, hit you with a jelly layup. Uh, just a very fun point guard to watch. And as we've seen that he is taking the number one kind of next in line in the dynasty, in the tradition of the Villanova point guards, just standout studs, just taking that number. And we really think that he'll be the next guy, so to speak, in terms of being really hype, being really exciting to watch. Now, we followed his journey to get here all last season very extensively. There wasn't the issue in which, you know, he his name showed up in that investigation. And allegedly he was caught up in taking about, I think it was like 15000 According to this report, it was announced that he was leaving Arizona and reopened his commitment. And obviously before he even chose Arizona, Villanova had been very high on his list. And a lot had speculated that if it wasn't Arizona... It was definitely, he was definitely a lock for the main line. And of course, when he reopens his recruitment, a lot of, there were a lot, if you remember, there were a lot of very strong reactions just to the initial news. But once he reopened his commitment and eventually chose Villanova, it seemed like for the most part, a lot of people were very excited to have a high caliber talent come to Nova, but some people were just a little apprehensive or not, you know, a little hesitant at first just based on like what had been going on and all the legal stuff that was just surrounding this case. But Jay Wright was just very open in talking about it. And here's what he had to say at Media Day. We hired outside attorneys. Um, and Javon, you know, he was uh, wrongly implicated, but that doesn't matter. It's out there, right? So we, he knew it. So when, we, when he contacted us and said he wanted to come to Villanova, we said, you understand that we have to do a full investigation before we can even think about it. He said, we, we get it. You know, we know what's out there. So we hired outside attorneys. They they looked at the entire uh, thing before we would even start talking to him. To be honest with you, I know when it came out, everyone thought he was. I'm not sure. I'm not sure of that. But I know what our people, um, again, what an outside attorneys found was. There was no reason to think in any way that they took any money or that they would be implicated in the trial. You've heard what Jay Wright has had to say. Are you confident in that Jelly JQ is A-OK? Oh, for sure I'm confident. I, I'm just happy he's on the team. <laughs> I, mean, I understand a lot of people's fears with, you know, trying like, diving into, you know, someone who's di- or going after someone who, you know, had, had this whole issue. And I, I get it. I understand. But, like, now... Now that it's like all cleared, like do you really care now? Like he's on the team. He's supposed to be really good. He's probably one of the best recruits this this team has had in Jay Wright era. So just just on paper. Obviously we still have to, the games to play. So I mean, look, I, I think he's fine. Uh, I don't I don't see any issues with this coming along. At least I hope not. I mean, I feel that Jay Wright and his uh, band of merry men have done their extensive research to to not break any NCAA viol- uh, rules. So I, I think we're okay. And I, I just want to see him out on the court. I want to see him play. I want to see him do all the jelly fam stuff. I just want to just want to watch him play last. Let's keep the, the legal stuff out of sight, out of mind. And let's hope for a good year from him. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I was on the jelly JQ bandwagon. Chris Lane and I just a couple of years before, I think just a sophomore or junior, and we were already really hyped on him. 
I just honestly love the way he plays, and I think he'll really be something special. Now, I haven't gotten to see the blue-white scrimmage. Obviously, the secret scrimmage against UNC and Virginia, those are behind closed doors. So I don't even know what happened or how he looks in person. But I really think that he'll be a very fun talent to watch, a very, very good freshman. And I'm also glad that all both sides seem to do their due diligence in handling the post- investigation report news in terms of recruiting. And I I honestly am very confident in Jelly JQ. I don't think the NCAA is going to pull one out of the hat. I don't think that there's going to be any backlash, any backfire from this. It seems like it was very well handled by Villanova, by Quinterly. And it just seems like when Jay Wright was saying this, I was totally bought in. It was really interesting just because I had not seeing his opinion on this or, you know, see him be so open and talking about the whole recruitment process. And it just seems like there's, you know, there's nothing to worry about here. I think we can all focus on basketball and what he can bring to the table. And, and it's definitely, if it's anything like he did at Hudson Catholic or with sports, you on the AAU circuit, it's going to be a good time. It's a good point. You brought up with Jay. Jay was pretty open about that, this whole thing. And I, I think we're, we're, we'll eventually talk about some other topics in which he was pretty open about it. He was in rare, rare form on Media Day, wasn't he? I don't know what it is about Biggie's Media Day, but I just feel like it puts everyone at ease. Players are chilling. Everyone's just having fun Q&As just all around between reporters and coaches and players. And everyone just seems so open in just like sharing their emotions, sharing their thoughts, just going into the season. And there's definitely, I felt like there, just across the board, there was definitely so much more openness and players and coaches being a lot more candid, which... Totally respect, totally appreciate. And it just added for just so so much interesting conversation. Jay Wright went on about this and other things for at least 20 minutes. And I really wanted to stay for more, but I just had to cycle around to other coaches, other players. But just going into that, and he also, aside from the Javon Quinterly topic, he just went in general, just went on about his thoughts in regards to paying students, paying NCAA athletes, student-athletes, the new G League rule. With all this discussion about cash and all that, it does beg the question, you know, what should we do with college basketball? And Jay Wright last year, he was pretty open in sharing some of his opinions and takes on that whole issue. And so naturally, we just had to reopen that discussion, especially with everything that's been going on recently between that giant FBI report. We hear Jim Beheim and Coach K chiming in the G League and NBA and I guess the NCAA or whoever just teamed up to add this like new policy where students can potentially go straight from high school and play professionally. What is your stance on this now? We've seen Jay's opinion over the years, but before we get into what he has to say, where do you stand on this? I feel like this is just such a complicated issue. It changes every time. My my opinion changes every time some new development comes up. Yeah, no, it, it does. When we were in school, we we had this discussion. See, I remember vividly talking about it with the senior year, and we were both adamantly against paying athletes, student athletes in general. You know, we see a lot of our friends, you know, going to debt to pay for an education. Meanwhile, these guys, they don't have to. And we, at the time, consider that a significant advantage. And I still do consider that a significant advantage to someone who's playing a sport. And with the ability to go pro. Now, obviously, not all of them do, and not all of them become successful in that, but at least they have the opportunity to, and they're not in debt. Now, since we graduated, I've kind of seen the other side. <laughs> I understand what some of these players go through, and I get that. That's fine. 
but I still stand on the side where they shouldn't get paid and for one reason and one reason only. And it's because of the slippery slope that happens when you do pay these guys. If you were to pay Villanova basketball players X amount of dollars, who's to say that the women's water polo team shouldn't get X amount of dollars? That just creates a whole bunch of problems. I mean, obviously the basketball team makes more revenue than the water polo team. And I get that. But at the same time, it, it, it's still kind of unfair because you're still getting paid to go to school and i i don't know i I just i i think that slippery slope there just completely negates any possible way to to completely pay them so that's my stance on it what's yours i i totally see where you're coming from that just because you know you look at like who, who who's to say that uh power five conferences can get paid but everyone else who's not in a power five conference can't get paid like, I, I get that, that, you know, that's totally unfair. You know, would the Big East be able to pay players? Clearly, their budget will be vastly higher than the likes of, like, the Sun Belt, CAA, MAC, just all these, like, smaller conferences that you kind of look at come NCAA tournament time, and you're like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll just go with this team. I've never really heard of them, but hopefully they pull off an upset. Clearly, the budget's not going to be as high. And also, basketball is a very big revenue-driven, successful program, which kudos to them. Definitely, you know, it's become a national power, just winning two championships in the last three years. But how about you look at Villanova's track and field program, which is also historically very, very successful. So much trophies that they can't even fit it anymore in the display cases at Jake Nevin Fieldhouse that they just have trophies on trophies and plaques just sitting in storage just because they have nowhere to put them. Who's to say you can't pay them either? The slippery slope issue, it's always been one issue that I think if the NCAA can like fix that or figure out some way to navigate that, fine, go ahead. But I will say that I, I am with you in that my opinion has changed over the years, and especially as I've grown older and just from speaking and you see some former players like Josh Hart is very vocal about this issue. I do think that there is something wrong when an institution can reel in millions of dollars and certain people can't even get a stipend on people wearing their jerseys or things like that, or being able to profit off their likeness. I think that that's a little unfair. I, I feel like, you know, if you're good enough, you should be able to profit off your likeness or, if you know, show up at a local store and sign some autographs or take some pictures with locals. Remember that kicker in college, he had to either choose between his, awesome youtube video channel where he was making money monetizing his videos as just doing all these like kicking stunts in football Mm -hmm. but the ncaa said if you want to continue doing this well then you're gonna have to quit your career as a college football kicker it's kind of ridiculous you know who's to say you can't have a hobby on the side like that to to make some money and so in that sense like i do think that that's a little ridiculous I do know my opinion will probably change in a year as more things come out and as I receive yeah. more information. Yeah, that's that's always what it seems to happen with this debate. But yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on that too. Like, I, if you don't want to pay them, fine. Like I said, like don't pay them, but like let them go venture out into other things. I completely agree with that. Like the YouTube thing, I remember that. I completely forgot about that before you brought that up. That was stupid. And then. The video games, like, why don't you just let them keep their likeness and, you know, give everybody a little bit of dough? Like, I don't know. Like, choose someone to be the cover athlete. Like, how cool would that be? Like, imagine if, like, Dante had stayed in school and they're like, oh, yeah, sure. You could be the cover athlete for NCAA uh, Basketball 19. Like, that'd, that'd be sick. That'd be crazy. But, like, at least that kind of bypasses it. So I, I think NCAA should lax up a little bit on their, their rules. I, I think 
this wouldn't be such as bad of a topic to talk about in such a heated uh, debate within the sports world. That is also a good point. The the NCAA being the obnoxious hall monitor when it comes to the cases like these, and I totally agree with that. I think maybe if it did ease up a little bit on a lot of its regulations and rules, it would be a lot better place. I do think that players should be paid in some way as long as they can figure it out. And it seems like the G League and the NBA, it seems like it has taken a small step, or at least I shouldn't say a small step, but a start. It's a nice start in offering elite high school prospects the option to go pro by joining the G League for a $125,000 contract. And Jay Wright absolutely loves it. And here's what he had to say about it. I think that the beauty of college basketball, I think what drives TV ratings, I think what drives fans, is the authenticity of student athletes competing at a high level athletically. But I think we we weren't fair to the kids that didn't want to do that because they couldn't get paid. I love what the NBA has done. If you want to get paid now, you have a great option to go to the G League. And you could take that $125,000. What were they calling that? The, the pro, pro path? Yeah, whatever. Right, the pro path. You could take that, but you could. But now that those guys are doing it, now I think some guys can go make. Take that twenty-five, thirty thousand too, because now they're really being evaluated for that next draft. You know, I think it could inspire some of those other kids that don't want to go to college. Chris, my first question for you is: What is your thought on the new ruling with making the G League a viable option? And what did you think of Jay Wright's comments? So yeah, I mean, obviously we haven't seen this into full effect yet, but just just when I first heard about it. The whole G League thing, I was like, eh, it's a start. I don't know if a lot of people take up on it, but it, it's a start. And I, I really don't think you're going to be losing like big time recruits to the G League. And if that does start to happen, I'd be I'd be a little concerned as a college basketball fan because at that point the product will significantly uh, drop off. Yeah, the G League thing's fine, I guess. I don't I don't really I'm not a huge fan of it, but I'm like, eh, eh, you know, it's it's a good idea. At least we're 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 getting the conversation going with that. So that, that's how I feel about that. What what about you? I also think it's a pretty nice start. I think ultimately it's a good thing for the NBA because I felt I've always felt that the G League had always been floating around and they never really got the respect surrounding it. I mean, considering how these are all division one at one point division one college stars who just weren't good enough to make the NBA, so now they're in the G League, just trying to either, you know, get better to eventually go back, or it's just how the state of their basketball career right now. And I feel like, in a way, this injects some new life to it, just because, you know, back then, there wasn't really a big must-watch G League game, and I've always felt that the NBA just kind of had it there, but didn't really know what to do with it. And now we're starting to see it get a little more organized. You see that NBA teams are starting to have G League affiliates more so than ever. When and Before, it was just a few teams here and there. Now it's starting to just rise in number. And by getting high-caliber talent, maybe it'll give people a reason to watch a G League. Players can make some money if they don't want to go to school because I feel like why waste people's time if you don't want to go to college and you just want to play basketball here you go you can get paid and it just kind of saves everyone time in being a one and done in the sense of why why go to college if you don't want to be there and also you can make money right away so it just kind of saves everyone from wasting each other's time 
Do you think one twenty-five thousand is enough money? Yeah, I was just about to say. Why wouldn't you just go to Europe at that point if you're gonna if they're only giving you one hundred twenty-five thousand? At least I, I believe just from what I I've, I've read in the past, I, I believe you make more money in Europe. I I, I think that's kind of why Brandon Jennings did that whole thing over there, uh, amongst others. There's been a few other people who went to Europe first, but I, I think he was like the big one. Hey, like I said, it's a, it's a start to to start weaning out the the one and dones that kind of you kind of realize like halfway through the season like oh they, they don't really want to be there they're just there for their own well-being but you understand that they have to be there because that's the only route possible so at least they have the option now to just you know play with some minor league nba talent and maybe develop their skills that way too so it, i guess you kind of have to weigh the pros and cons like is one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars enough but you're also probably playing against better talent or would you rather go make more money and play against lesser talent in europe it, i i mean i know which i'd probably take the more money and lesser talent but i mean that's uh, to each their own i guess so to answer your question i don't think one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars is enough but i think it might be able to convince some lower end recruits maybe to just kind of take the money and run i feel like you know while europe and overseas is always a viable option i feel like the reason why we don't see more people taking that jump literally across the pond is probably because one of the things that's just so difficult to overcome as an overseas player and one that's probably not as highly documented for these players that temporarily go overseas before going to the nba draft is you have to learn a completely new language get used to a new lifestyle thousands of miles away from home and i'm not sure if that's a reason why we don't see more people take the jump. As for 125K, I think it is enough because you could also sign endorsements. You just look at Darius Basley, Basley, I'm not 100% sure how to pronounce it, who was a high school kid, standout at Princeton High, was set to go to Syracuse, but this new thing opened up, this new option, and he's taking the money and running. And now he also has a $14 million deal with New Balance. So I do think in the sense that you could sign endorsements, potential endorsements, I think that easily compensates and makes up for the gap. I don't know, though, if this is going to completely eliminate the sketchy, you know, money under the table. You remember us when you make it big kind of things. Uh, I don't know if this will completely eliminate that. No, I don't don't think that's ever going away. As long as college athletics are a thing where – there is no pay scale <laughs> to players it is never, never going to happen. So it's never, it's never going to stop. So, Oh, by the way, just looked at Brandon Jennings. He signed a $2 million deal in Italy when he went over there. So pretty t- uh, stark difference. So, I mean, but like, I, like you said, culture and lesser talent and uh, probably less opportunity for endorsement. I mean, everyone's got to weigh the pros and cons to each situation. Before we wrap up on this, I think, Jay Wright had one last passionate rant on this subject. I just want to share with everyone, take a listen to what Jay had to say. The head of the NCA, the head of college football, the head of college basketball, they have to be connected. And then there's just like an athletic department, then there should be Olympic sports ahead. Of, it's, it's big, big business. And I think we have to admit that we are a big business of amateur athletics. That's what we are, of student-athlete athletics. And there is no model like this anywhere in the world. We're the only ones that do it. So we can 
we can set an example for what it is. You know, I, a lot of European basketball people say to me, "We love your model. We wish our guys could go get educated rather than throw a 16-year-old kid in with 25-year-olds playing pro." We we don't like that, but that's all we have. So I just think if we make it authentic. If a guy wants to go to college, he goes there for three years. If a guy doesn't want to go to college and he's good enough, he should be able to go to the NBA, go to the G League, and he should get paid fair market value. Not just 25000 because you're because you're 18 years old. If you're good enough, you should get paid. But I really commend the NBA. I thought they did a great move. And I think it could possibly, possibly, I want to make sure I go on record. I want them to eliminate one and done. I want them to be able to go, go out of high school and if they go to college, stay for three years. But this could possibly eliminate the need for the elimination of one and done if this works well. Chris, there is a lot to unpack here. I don't even know where to start with this statement just because I think there's a lot of interesting things. But I guess the the easy and the quick one here would just be Jay Wright says to eliminate the one and done, allow kids to go straight out of high school, make money wh wherever have you, you know, whether it's the G League overseas. But if they go to college, they got to stay for three years. Do you like this baseball, NCAA baseball esque rule for basketball? For the for the NBA, I think it works out pretty well, <laughs> mainly because uh, you will get the better talent quicker. Because I feel that if you have any short of shot of being a uh, first-round pick, I think you'll probably just forego college completely and just go straight to the NBA, just like how it used to be. But at the same time, if you do go to college, that's basically your minor league system right there because they're guaranteed three years. So, so yeah, honestly, I, when he said that, I, I really I really don't mind it. I, I think I like it. But I kind of say that as a fan of a program who goes after recruits who want to stay in college and do the whole three, at least three-year thing, three to four-year thing. If I was a, a Duke or Kentucky fan, I probably would not be a fan of that, mainly because it's all about the one-and-dones with those schools. And, you know, that's just two different philosophies, and that's completely okay. But And as a college basketball fan, it would kind of suck too because I, I would want to see, like, a, the, these top guys play at least one year. Like, I want to see, like, the Dukes and the Kentuckys go after each other in, like, some – big preseason tournament and go after each other with these, these top players like Zion Williamson's like bringing all this hype and, you know, sports center is probably going to run him into the ground by January. But, you know, right. As of right now, he seems like an exciting player and that's cool. And I'd rather see that in college basketball because I despise the NBA. I cannot watch professional basketball. I don't like it. So this is my, basically my only chance and only Avenue to really watch uh, these players. So from that standpoint, I would, I, I would hate it, but at the same time, from a Villanova standpoint, if we continue this whole develop, uh, get the mid-level mid guys or maybe just right on the fringe of top-tier guys and develop them, then, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. I think where Jay's coming from, because he seems to be a very big proponent of, you know, have the kids that want to play professionally, let them play professionally right off the bat. For the kids who want to go to college, want the whole experience, meet new friends, make new friends, meet people from all walks of life, all across the world, take different classes that's intriguing to them, get an education, get a degree, like let them go to college. Don't force people to have to kind of do things that they don't really want to. But at the same time, well, you know, what, what do you do in the situation where I agree with what he has, some of the things he has to say, but 
the one my one big disagreement with it is if we were to do the baseball rule where it's either go pro right away or if you go to college stick for at least three what would happen in the sense of let's say a player just blows up their fresh after their freshman season kind of like trey young did now he has to stay an extra two years where you know maybe he didn't realize the potential of obviously he didn't have the hoopla have all the fanfare surrounding him as a one and done or being a multi-million dollar talent but now after that big first year season he's gonna lose a lot of steam a lot of momentum a lot of pull just from having to wait two more seasons, risking injury, and not being able to make the jump for the NBA. That's a good point. <laughs> I, I didn't even consider that. Uh, I, I, don't, the, I guess the only way to like kind of bypass that is maybe you can like enter into the draft, but like you don't have to like you, you can't play it, but the team will have your rights. So at least like you have like a team to go to, or they can sign you to a contract. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that would. That that's kind of a, I don't know. Actually, kind of saying it out loud doesn't sound all that great. But that's kind of like to similar to uh, the hockey model, where you know you can draft guys and they can go back to school, they can go to college, and I mean obviously they're not signed to contracts, professional contracts, but at least you have their draft rights. So maybe maybe you can kind of bypass it through that. That's actually not too crazy. I'm not 100% sure with. I don't think I fully understand the whole concept of like the Euro stash. When it comes to drafting international players, mm-hmm. like some players, for some reason, they were like ready to play right away. But then others, because of contract obligations that you can't have them for like another two years. So, I, you know, that's actually a pretty good point. Uh, definitely another very <laughs> another variable to <Yeah>. address <laughs> going into this whole issue. Yeah, I know. It's, see, it's with basketball, it's, it's just. It, there's just no perfect way to do it just because it's the one sport out there where you can just take a guy at the age of 18 and put him up against the guy who's like 32. And it's probably the talent difference as if, if as long as like, it, it really doesn't matter. As long as the talent's there, it really doesn't matter. Football, you can't do it because they'll just get pile driven hockey. You really can't, you sort of can do it with special players. Others, you got to wait a little cup, a couple of years and then baseball, they take forever to develop. So yeah, it's the one sport out there where you can just, plug in and play and i think that's why this is so difficult to balance we'll certainly keep an eye on all this we spent a little more time on that but jay wright just had so many interesting things to say that it just couldn't ignore it the man was just firing away for a while and it was just a great conversation but diving away from college basketball as a whole and just zooming in and going specifically honing in on nova this has been a pretty big year for the cats two national championships in three years talked about a little bit and i'm totally with you in that and i from the few others that i've spoken to about this too this offseason has felt like one of the longest ever and not only did nova just win the national championship but they also moved the season tip off time up by like a week and it still feels like forever yes it does (laughs) and i i don't know i don't know why but it just feels, it just felt like it took a long time. I, I feel like with all sports now, I feel like off seasons are just getting longer and longer. I don't, I don't know what it is. I think it's just the anticipation that of your team being good now, <laughs> and you know, you just want to go defend that championship. I think that's what's it making us itch to get back to the season so quickly. So no one has repeated as national champions since Florida did so in the mid two thousands. Nova gets a second shot to do it after not being able to do so 
from 2017 after 2016. The Wildcats have four new additions to the NBA, which is great for the program. It was a record-breaking NBA draft night. But with that, it also now has a bunch of gaps to fill. Are you worried? Yeah, a little, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I was worried at this time last year, and they, they, this team was last year's team was probably one of the best ever. But yeah, I, I'm a little worried just, just because. I mean, you just lost so much talent. It's, it's going to be hard to even try and replicate last year. But I, I think as fans, we can't really try and hold this team up to that standard, and I, I don't think a lot of people are. I, I think we should, you know, just be excited for to see. Eric Pascal possibly put out a if everything goes well, if everything breaks his way, he could probably be pushing all, an All American bid for an All American bid. Uh, I'd like to see Phil Booth healthy for a full year in his last season. I'm excited to see what the freshman can bring. So, like as we were mentioning before, I think this is going to be an. A, a, we're excited for this season. We were talking about this off air. We're we are excited about this season because of all the new fresh faces. We're excited about the fresh, like freshman class. We're excited about the, the sophomore class to see if they can build upon a strong freshman campaign. And we're excited to see what Pascal and Booth have for their curtain calls. It's just as exciting, but I, I will say I am a little bit worried just because you just lost so much. It's going to be hard to just make up what you lost. You lost so many points. You lost probably your best defender for sure. You lost team leader, player of the year. You lost your this quote unquote best six man program has had in a while, and and you lost probably one of the most talented freshmen in the land. I know he was a redshirt freshman, but a freshman nonetheless. So it's a lot to make up. A little bit worried, yes, but I'm excited to see what can happen with a bunch of new guys and new roles. I'm super excited, and I think I'm going into this one. A lot more relaxed. Uh, I don't know what it is. Uh, I think last year it was definitely a little more panicky, just probably because it was somewhat unknown. Like you knew that Jalen Brunson was going to be great. You knew that Phil Booth was going to be healthy. Dante DiVincenzo was going to be possibly one of the next players to take a leap. But how how high would the jump be? Mikael Bridges was a solid talent. But did I expect an All-American jump? to NBA lottery pick? No, I can't say I did. (laughs) There was a point where literally Villanova had two national player of the year contenders. (laughs) Like amazing. (laughs) No, I know. And we thought we were crazy for, we would thought you were crazy for even suggesting that at the beginning of the year. It would be interesting to see what Pascal can do. I know I've seen on a few mock drafts and granted, these are super early mock drafts. Anything can happen, especially once the NCAA tournament rolls around. Once the NCAA tournament runs around, every mock draft just changes exponentially. But I have seen him at the very tail end, around the late 20s to that 30 spot in terms of first round. So maybe if he builds off of that strong postseason finish, who knows? Who knows what can happen? Who knows? What are you looking forward to most? I know you listed a few things there, a few different groups or players to watch, but what are you looking forward to seeing from this team the most? It's got to be Jelly Fam, man. I'm all about the Jelly Fam. <laughs> I, I want to see what Quinterly Bings brings to the table. I want to see – it, it kind of – I'm not saying it's the same, but it kind of reminds me of when uh, Scotty Reynolds kind of came in. I mean, you lost a lot of talent from the year before, and now you got this big-time freshman point guard coming in to take over. And I know the teams are different like the this team is much better than that 06, 07 team, but it, it's kind of got that same vibe where you just got this freshman point guard to come in and just take over. And I want, I just want to see him take over. I would love to see it. And that's not a knock on Phil Booth, and it's not a knock on Colin Gillespie, who I know is 
who might end up winning the starting job, at least initially. But I, I just, you just see the potential with Quinterly. You hear about the potential with Quinterly and you can hear what he, uh, you see his highlight tapes and you're just like, man, this, this could be really something fun. I just want to see what he's all about. That, honestly, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to the most. On a smaller scale, I'm excited to see Colin Gillespie throw down a mean jam just because Ryan Bowman, the official photographer of VU Hoops, he had that sick picture from Hoops Mania of Colin Gillespie rising up, ready to throw one down. And I did not know he had it in him. I did not know he could dunk. But it looked like he got some pretty good air. And then on a bigger scale, I would love to see the development of the bench guys or the guys that were coming off the bench. Guys like Demir Kazi Roundtree, Dylan Painter, Jermaine Samuels, just seeing how they've come along. We already know, you know, which guys are going to be good. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what the freshmen bring to the table. But I would like to see if they take a jump, what kind of jump, how big will the jump be, how high can they go? I'm very excited to see that. To your point about CG, Jared has said, Briefly, before Big East Media Day, that three of the five starting spots are already locked in, and those belong to Eric Pascal, Phil Booth, and Colin Gillespie, Arch 2.0. Now, I remember way back when, during the offseason, someone had asked, tweeted us, asked us for our input, and to give our starting five predictions. We're already wrong. <laughs> did not did not picture Colin Gillespie rising. I thought that he would have been the quote-unquote new sixth starter. But from what I'm hearing, it looks like he's taking a big jump. And I believe he's captain. I believe he is captain. No verbal confirmation, but just looking at pictures and things, I think he is captain. Yeah, good for him. I mean, he had a solid freshman year. And we were not big fans of uh, his coming in. Um, At least we didn't expect him to be uh, such a solid contributor off the bench um, to start the year. It's great to see that, you know, Jake can get these guys, three-star guys, and just, you know, mold them into what he wants them to be, and, and they're they're pretty good players, I got to say. I'm, I'm fine with Gillespie starting, at least initially. And look, it, it's just starting a name. So, I mean, a lot of people might not be happy about that because, you know, it, it's taking away minutes from Quinterly and from some other freshmen, whatever it may be, or you know, then you got to split up the minutes between Booth and all that. I, I, look, I understand that. That's that's fine. But at least initially, I think he Jay just wants to defer to the – to the guy who's been there before. And I, I think we've seen that at least recently. He, he usually defers to vets. And I know Gillespie's only a sophomore, so he's not exactly a vet, a senior vet that he usually does give the benefit of the doubt to. But I, he seems to like Gillespie's practices. I mean, obviously, we're not there to see what's going on, but apparently he's having great practices. He's had some great scrimmages. So, hey, he, he fully deserves it, and especially after last year. I thought he was pretty solid in, in a limited role and, and maybe in a more expanded role. His flaws might show through, and I think if that were to happen, I think Jay will adjust and will do so accordingly. But in a limited role, I was perfectly fine with Colin Gillespie. I, I really had no that, that many problems with him. So, you know, good for him. He's captain. All for it. So who would you fill the remaining two spots with? So I guess that means the three and the five would be open unless they're putting Pascal at the five. Do we know that? Do we know yet? We definitely do not know yet. We definitely do not know yet. Yeah. So that means the three and the five are open. I guess I guess Samuels at three. I mean, I would like to see Samuels at three. I, I don't know if Primo's gonna get involved with that at all. I don't know if he's how how he's looking. But I would like to see Samuels because he kind of had a lost year last year due to the injury and the uh, kind of inconsistent play. At the five, I guess it would be DCR just by default. 
and like and sort of like Gillespie. I wasn't expecting big things from him last year, um, but in a limited role, I, I thought he did okay. So I thought he did pretty good actually. There were some games where it was like, uh, you should probably get him off the court, and then there were other games where it was like, no, keep him on. He's doing great. Keep him right there. So uh, I, I go with that. I, I would probably put Samuels in in DCR in unless they want to put Quinterly at point guard and then shift Gillespie to two and then Booth to three, which then I, I don't I don't know if I'm okay with that to to at least start. Maybe maybe in some limited minutes I'm all, I'm okay with that, but you're you're live you're that that wing spot is, uh, is pretty vulnerable at that point. I would say. Yeah, I'm totally a big fan of Demir Cosby Roundtree and what we saw in limited minutes as a freshman. I think you know going to the, some of the things that you said didn't look so hot. I think that just came with the growing pains of being a freshman. But I would like to see him start at the five. The last remaining spot is very interesting because, as you said, they could hypothetically start Javon Quinterly, and this would be small ball with basically three point guards. Or they could easily start Jermaine Samuels or Cremo, and then all of a sudden now you have, I guess you could say, a quote-unquote average normal size starting lineup. I feel like maybe Jay might rotate a little bit, just depending on what team they're playing. Maybe, you know, switch out the six man for the starter if they need more height or if they want to go small ball to start and just push everything, then totally do that too. I think it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting to watch. I think at the end of the day, we'll see that whoever is that six man, it's not really going to, you know, it's all six man by name, six starter. They're going to get pretty good minutes, whoever that guy might be. So, at the end of the day, while it might all just be semantics, I will say if in a perfect world in the starting five, I would like to see Jelly JQ start right away. And I guess that will mean that Phil Booth goes to the three and then at the five, it would be DCR. So while we're talking about JQ again, got a little progress support on the freshman. You know, you got a lot of young cats. I'm wondering, you're wondering. A lot of people are wondering how this big freshman class looks, the highest ranked, highest rated since 2009. Phil Booth has had his phone blown up by recent former alumni, Josh Hart, Mikhail Bridges, and they all are checking in almost every day. How is this team looking and how does it feel to handle a problem that not really these recent captains had had to deal with. This is just such a big roster turnover, and there's so many new faces between the four freshmen and Joe Cremo. But we got a little progress report from Phil Booth on these four freshmen, and here's what he had to say. Oh, they're very great. They, they've been some of the most talented freshmen that we've that we freshman class that we've had. I think with, with Javon Quinley, what he can do with the ball, his craftiness, how quick he is, brings a lot of different things. And then Cole Swider, who's tall, can race with the ball, probably the best shooter on the team. And then Slater, a great defensive player. Uh, and then uh, Sadiq Bay, who's also been very great defensively and rebounded well. So they're all kind of sticking out in all different ways. I know you're pumped to see JQ. Jelly fam, hit him with a jelly layup. But how excited are you overall for this freshman class? I mean, on paper, I mean, I think we it's pretty well known that this is probably the best freshman class they've had in a while. I think it's their top-rated class since 2009. And if I, if I remember correctly, isn't that the class that Jay kind of contributes to his downfall? Am I, am I right on that? Wasn't that the – is that the Waynes and Cheek and Yaru class? Am I right? Yes, yeah, that was yeah. the one where everybody left by the end of it, except for move, except <laughs> move. for big move. Yeah, I think Armwood was part of that class too. 
but yeah, that uh, I, I'd be a little cautious because of that, because you know, like he kind of straight away from getting the big time guys, but I, I think we've corrected that now <laughs> as a program. I think that's been corrected. Uh, I think they're getting guys now who, who fit the mold, who fit the program motto, attitude, and all that stuff. So yeah, I, I'm pretty pumped, and it's be- and it's because this this class is just very diverse. I mean, you got Quinterly, who's a dynamic point guard, uh, Swider, who's tall and a good shooter. Uh, Slater's more of a defensive guy. At least that's what Phil just said. And then you got Sadiq Bey, who was a late tack on. So yeah, it's a, a very diver- diverse class, and I'm, I'm excited because I, it just brings so much more flexibility to the lineup. I feel like, and I'm, I'm all for flexibility. We've obviously heard the hype behind Quinterly and. You know, Swider, he has, as said by John Rothstein, intergalactic range. And Brandon Slater is a great defensive player and can do, very athletic, can do a number of things. But the one guy that had been named at Big East Media Day as someone who will turn some heads, surprise people, is Sadiq Bey. And now I'm guessing, if you remember that secret scrimmage where Sadiq Bey just dropped threes, grabbed boards, had over 20 points, but he had 23. I guess that secret scrimmage was not a fluke. Yeah, I guess not. It's it's funny. Like I just said, like he was a late tack on to this class. If he does anything like he can against against UNC throughout the season, if he can somehow replicate uh, even a fraction of those perform of that performance throughout the year, man, it's, it's this class is going to be real good, <laughs> really, really good. Yeah, to me, he always seemed like someone who we could totally develop into like a stud down the line. But if that's going to happen sooner than later, totally welcoming it. But overall, I'm not going to ask for too many predictions just because we will be having our preview episodes over the next two shows. So we're going to kind of pivot from the men's side of Big East Media Day. And we took a little break for lunch. Then it was women's basketball time. And right off the bat, they released the preseason rankings. And just looking at the top 10, tied for number one is DePaul and Marquette, who have seemed to be the giants of this conference since realignment. Or I guess Marquette came along very recently over the last two, three years. But then at number three, we got the Villanova Wildcats. Chris, what were your thoughts on these rankings? Pretty much as I'm looking at it, it's, as I'll say, as expected. Yeah, yeah. For sure, I remember last year there was the rage was all about the Paul Marquette, and it it seemed I don't think they've lost anybody big, at least that significant, and obviously it's shown in the preseason rankings tied first overall. And Villanova at three is cool. I mean, we we saw we we've tracked the women's team for the past uh, few years, and we've seen them uh, develop into something special. And last year, you know, we had the big win over Duke to kind of put them back uh, on the map, or at least get them back into the discussion of. Uh, legitimate women's basketball team. So, you know, great to see that. And hopefully they're able to maintain it this year. I mean, do you want to just finish the top three and you just want a shot at the Paul and Marquette in the Big East tournament? I think that's what we were saying last year. Just give them a shot. You can possibly uh, walk away with a Big East title. So you're going to have to, it's going to have to go through the Paul and Marquette. So as long as you could take a very, uh, take care of business against everybody below you, I mean, you can definitely squeak out a game or two against the Paul and Marquette. So. And it's not completely out of the question either. I, I, I think you might recall last year at the Jake Nevin Fieldhouse, Villanova destroyed DePaul by, I think it was 26 or by 28, maybe even 30 mm-hmm. points. And that yep. was completely unexpected. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, they did. They had trouble with Marquette, I think, throughout the year, though. I think they just didn't match up well against them, right? But, uh, but yeah, the ball they, they were able to handle, and they should be able to do it again this year, I feel like. As long as you can split with them, you have a shot at the title. And maybe you can sweep out one against Marquette, so. Then looking over at individual player awards, preseason player of the year went to Alizia Blockton of Marquette. She had the same honor last year, so nothing too surprising. And freshman of the year will go to Kadeja Bailey of St. John's. And they didn't release – They I don't know why they don't do this, but they don't do a preseason first, second team. They just do a preseason team, all Big East team. And okay. they listed – yeah, they listed like 10 or 12 <laughs> names, so they could have easily had yeah. one or two teams if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah, it's not, I don't know. Weird. Villanova had one sole representative, and that was Mary Gadeka. She was named to the All Big East preseason team. She was the sixth woman of the year last season. And I think it's safe to say that she's going to be primed for a much bigger year as now a junior member of the team. For sure. I remember talking about her a lot and her name. She, it always seemed that last year, all like the big runs that Villanova went on last year kind of started with her coming off the bench. So she'll, I'm assuming she's going to be thrust into a starting role this year. So she's a great player. And if she can just bring that, bring that energy that she did off the bench last year to, to the starting lineup, I, I think the, the Lady Cats will be a okay. She is the team's top returning scorer and rebounder. And I remember calling her last year Miss Efficiency just because of the way she shot the ball. She converted on over 60% of her shots, which, which was just amazing to watch. And she really did bring a lot of energy off the bench, really brought a lot of moxie onto the court. And it's good to see that she's being recognized once again. I do think that by the time the postseason is all said and done, or once we do reach the postseason, rather, I would. I do think that Villanova. She will not be the only one getting All Big East recognition. I do think that Villanova will have at least one more player in that conversation. So last year, the Wildcats finished twenty three nine overall. They reached the NCAA tournament for the first time since twenty thirteen. They also hit the polls for the first time in over a decade. It all started with that big upset win over Duke. Here's Jana Tucker on how she feels that this season can be. Adriana touched on when you have a group where that's coming back where everyone has gone to the tournament that is now your standard so that's it becomes a norm of yours so that's what you like use as your measurement of success to get back to so um it's definitely something that's going to be used as a motivator for us to, to keep going and go past that chris do the lady cats have a chance to make it back this year i think they'll be able to make it back this year i think if they can just like i said if you can just get one against the paul marquette get that one big marquee win on the schedule and take care of non-con and then take care of a majority of the big East is against all those teams that are currently ranked below you. I think they'll make it back and you're bringing back four key players, Adriana Hahn, Kelly Jacott, Jana Tucker, and Kudeka, as we mentioned before, this team was a nine seed last year and beat South Dakota state in the opening round and gave Notre Dame run for their money. I remember watching that game. They were in it for good, good majority of that game until Notre Dame pulled away, and if that game's on a neutral court, you never know. But you're bringing back four key players, and they all got the experience last year with a win on top of it. I, I I'm expecting big things this year for sure. You, this is this is what college basketball is all about. It's about building this program slowly but surely. You get you finally get the stars to align. You get to the tournament. You get your big win. 
you get all that experience, and now this is what this is the year the stars align, and you just go ham, just go nuts, win some more games in the tournament. Maybe you win, maybe you win more games in the regular season that you wouldn't have last year because you have that experience under your belt. I think that I think tournament appearance goes a long way to and for this year. And I, we mentioned it a bunch of times last year how key it was to just get to the tournament just because of the experience. And now th- this is the year it's going to have to pay off. And with these four players returning, I, I think I think they have a damn good shot again back. I really did like what Tucker had to say just in general with after no one had even gone to the big dance before and you finally get that experience to do it one time, that is now the standard. That is now the expectation. And that is what they're using to drive them. They certainly do have the talent. I think if they can get a few marquee wins, even though that they were bounced out of the quarterfinals of the Big East tournament, kind of lost a little bit of gas after being just destroyed by scheduling. I don't know who was in charge of scheduling, but they had like, what was that? It was like 10 games in a matter of three weeks. Just something yeah. absolutely absurd. Yeah, with majority on the road too. That was nuts. Yeah, I think they do have the talent. They definitely have most of their key pieces, which is definitely big. Just looking at the bench, it just looks like Bridget Hurley and Grace Stand, who's also a senior, had a lot of burn coming in, coming off the bench, adding some energy. They're definitely going to have some bigger roles. I'm interested to see the redshirt, the sophomore, and true junior group, just because that class, I think it was six different players coming in. They were just kind of viewed as, quote-unquote, the future. It seems like they're all going to have a lot more bigger roles. Obviously, we see Kelly Jaycock got to start last year, and then you got to see Bridget Herlihy add some great minutes off the bench. But I think we're, we're going to see a few more contributors, and that just seems to be the vibe from talking to the team and talking to Harry Preda. So I'm interested to see what they can do. They're also bringing in three freshmen, Maddie Segrist, Mackenzie Gardler, and walk-on Bree Wager. Gardler is a local product coming from basically down the street at Cardinal O'Hara High School. And Maddie Segrist is actually a player that I didn't realize that I was going to be able to see just from like my high school hoops coverage in around the local area from Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, baller. Absolute baller. I saw her at the Frankie Williams Charity Classic where they bring in all the top talent, boys and girls, and they basically do all-star games for a whole day. And it's the top talent from New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. And she stood out to me. And then once I found out she was going to Nova, I was like, oh, Harry Peretta. Great choice. Great choice. Great choice. It's going to be a fun year for sure. And I'm hoping it's another good one because it just seems so much more fun when both teams, the men's and the women's teams, are doing very well. And it's great for us. Great for us. Yeah, great for business. And uh, yeah, it was fun last year because we were having like discussions about who was going to lose first. It was either the women's team or the or the men's team. I mean, that and that was that was kind of fun to keep track of too and debate that because it's something to talk about. So yeah, I, I'd like to see them do well because of that. But yeah, it seems like they got a good freshman class coming in, similar to the men's team. You're bringing back a lot of key pieces. It's it's their time to shine. I th- I think they can make some moves this year. So. Hoping for the best. We'll certainly be keeping an eye on them, and we'll also be watching the men's team very closely as well. Well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, stop, drop, and roll, pop open the mailbag, check and look at any questions that you, the listeners, have sent to us. As always, you can tweet us at S-O-N-N-Pod, or 
tweet Chris and I, and it'll make its way to us. The mailman knows all, sees all, and will get all your questions to us. You can also leave a question in the comment section at viewhoops.com. This first question is from Habib Garcia. He wants to know, what is the expectation for this team in terms of wins? How many wins are we looking at this year? Do you think there will be a little bit of a step back from last season? Are you scared of a disappointment? Uh, Chris, I don't know about you, and I know that there were some people when we were having our draft day episode or draft decision day episode, they were terrified. They were scared. They thought, you know, four very talented players and a lot of the new faces, just such a big roster overhaul. There's no way the team can be a 31 team again. But I beg to differ. I think this team will be just fine. I, I, I'm honestly not scared. There's a lot of great young talent. And I think Pascal and Booth alone are, are just great in a Big East conference that overall, there's a lot of people who lost some good talent across the board. So I'm not worried. I honestly think this team will get at least 26, 27 wins, which is perfectly fine. I'd have to agree with your assessment there. Probably around 25 plus wins. Look, after last year, I, we've we've said it before off air. Like we just feel at ease with this team now. I, I think that we kind of just trust trust the process, really trust the system, trust in Jay and all that stuff. And I just don't see them being bad at, at all. And like by bad, I mean like winning like twenty games and like sweating it out. Like come come selection Sunday, I, I think I think they'll be fine. Twenty five plus is probably a, a good good estimate there. In my heart of hearts, I'll be honest, I, I do think that they get really close to 30. I just don't want to say 30, and I don't want to say – I want to give them a little leeway to work with, but I honestly think this team will be just fine. I think 25-plus, no problem. 27-28, maybe I'm just being cocky. Maybe I'm still riding the high of last year. I don't know what it is, but I still feel that this team will be in good hands, and I think they will be just fine. The second question is from Ed Gerwin. He said, it would be awesome if you could find out how things went down when Jay, I assumed, showed Old Roy the 2016 Final Four logo in the Finneran entryway. Ed, let me tell you how I pictured this going down. Sadiq Bey, Phil Booth, Eric Pascal just destroyed UNC single-handedly. Then afterwards, they're giving them a nice tour of the Finneran Pavilion. I, I still need to get used to calling it the Finneran Pavilion or the Finn. I, I, just, I still call it the Pavilion by habit. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to that's gonna take an adjustment period. I'm calling it the pavilion for now. Yeah, and I'm sure Jay walked Roy to the new trophy case and said, look at all these fine you know, trophies. We finally have a nice spot to display them. And I saw that there were a lot of video boards. I would not be surprised if one of those video boards or TV screens just had the 2016 shot, Chris Jenkins shot. On loop, <laughs> as just as he took Roy to that spot, and then once Roy and them went away, it went back to their normal scheduled broadcast. That would have been a nice troll job. Or after the game, you know, courts all sweaty and all that stuff. You got to get a mop. So, I, what, what if they brought Daniel Jeffrey to, to to bring bring out a mop and just mop the floor and clean up? That would be cool too. I would that would have been nice. Just basically recreating the entire the entire game. I will say I'm more intrigued to find out what happened in the, at the UVA secret scrimmage. There has been zero. I've looked all over Twitter since last weekend when it took place. I believe it was Saturday. And I haven't found anything. I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen anything. It wasn't like the UNC secret scrimmage where there was a press release by both sides. I, I'm honestly curious how that went down. 
I'm sure Villanova came out of the locker room in UMBC jerseys, and I think they took care of business. That is a good point. That would be great. I could totally see Jelly JQ getting a custom jelly sleeve with UMBC on it just to troll. Why not? Virginia. I will be honest, though. I think part of the reason why I have a conspiracy theory as to why there hasn't been any news on what happened with that secret scrimmage. And I think it's because, you know, when when Nova beat UNC, it was a cool score. You had a 41-point performance by Booth, 20-plus from Pascal, 20-plus from Bay, and Villanova just stomped on UNC. But it's Virginia basketball we're talking about. Maybe the score was like uh, 35-28. <laughs> that's not a that's not a sexy score. No one needs to see that. And even with the context, maybe they could have even played like a one twenty minute scrimmage. But no one's gonna look at that. No one's gonna look at the context. They're just gonna look at the score and they're gonna be like, "What just happened?" Yeah, yeah. No, it it probably was an ugly game. You make a good point there. It was probably a horrible, horrific, ugly game, and nobody wants that news getting out there. I would love another home and home series, like a real home and home series, just as they did a couple years back. I thought. Both games were fantastic, but this secret scrimmage score was probably not sexy at all. And I, I don't blame either side for just being like, can we just, you know, keep the, keep the tape just for ourselves, just for personal use, and just never talk about it ever again. Yeah, yeah, probably a nice little handshake agreement between uh, good buds uh, Tony Bennett and Jay Wright. Probably what happened. I don't understand why though. Like, like you said, like they they put out a press release for the UNC game, but this. Like, there was nothing. Like, I know we're joking, like, right now that, you know, it was probably an ugly game. But, like, what what is the thought process behind it? Like, I don't understand why these – they're secrets until they're not secrets, but then there's some of them are secrets. I, I don't I don't really get that. Yeah, I don't get it either. I don't get why – I felt like this secret scrimmage was the only one that, quote-unquote, formally had a press release. I do remember a couple of years ago when it was the 2016 run in a preseason secret scrimmage with, I believe it was Maryland – I remember the rumor going around was that Chris Jenkins made 11 threes or something insane and dropped 35 plus on Maryland. And I remember thinking, uh, I don't know if I believe that. I, I don't, you know, Chris Jenkins is a good shooter, but I don't know if he can make that many threes. And then obviously that year he went on to be one of the heroes, one of the pioneers for the 2016 national championship run. So while it does generate talking points, I feel like, you know, now you just, now you're just setting the expectation too high. After having one nice press release from the first scrimmage, we everyone was ready for a highlight tape for the second scrimmage. A little live feed. Yeah, and especially after the national championship last year, everybody's just kind of chomping at the bit, so any type of news would have been nice. But, I mean, you got the one with the UNC, uh, the UNC game, and you got uh, you got Phil Booth putting up ungodly numbers. So that, that, that bodes well for the season, I'd say. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation podcast. We are happy to be back, and we are very thankful for all of your support. We were killing it in the rankings last year, and we really couldn't have done it without you guys listening every Tuesday and Thursday. And so please, if you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Podomatic, Google Play, Spotify, you name it, you have options. Also, please check back at viewhoops.com. Every day for all your Villanova sports news, follow the site at VU Hoops, and that's good for Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at the Stans Man on Twitter. And how could I forget? You could also follow the State of the Nova Nation podcast at S-O-N-N pod on Twitter. Nova Nation, happy Tuesday.
I believe it's one week away. I think we let me look at this calendar for a second. Yeah, we are one week away from the season tip off against Morgan State. It'll be here before you know it. We'll be back on Thursday with a little non-con preview show. And then just before tip off on Tuesday, we will have the Big East preview show. So stay tuned. These are some of our favorite preseason episodes to do. We really do enjoy just breaking down and hypothesizing and previewing each and every opponent running through the schedule. And we will be doing that over the next two episodes. So check back. Until then, catch you later. Enjoy your day.